Uh, this is Kenneth Wong, Senior Editor for DE247, and I usually go to trade shows and collect newsworthy tidbits. And uh, I also have with me my colleague, Brian. Brian, self-introduction, please. Hi, this is Brian Albright, Editorial Director at Digital Engineering Magazine. Let's start with what has been making news in the headline, and that is and uh, acquisition. We've been reading that NanoDimension, a company, has made actually two unsolicited offer to acquire Stratasys. The first offer was made near the end of March. NanoDimension made an unsolicited offer for $18 per share to acquire the remaining um, shares of Stratasys. They already own about 14%, so this is an offer to buy out the, the rest of the share. Um, it was rejected by Stratasys, saying that they want to be independent and they are confident that they can do better on their own. So the latest round is that Nano offered another offer for $20 per share. Um, this offer is still outstanding and we haven't heard anything from Stratasys yet. What are your thoughts on that, Brian? Well, you know, this has been interesting because Nano Dimension is a, a, a you know relatively newer company compared to Stratasys, who's been around quite a while. Um, and Nano also, uh, you know, I think has sort of less of a presence in the market comparatively just because Stratasys is, is, is you know, one of the original companies in the additive space. Uh, but it's been a little peculiar, uh, especially in the context of Nano Dimension having this sort of battle within their own um, board of directors and among their shareholders about, you know, over control of the company. Uh, and that's been happening sort of simultaneously with this bid to purchase Stratasys, who's clearly not interested. Uh, so it it's a little little peculiar, um, and I'll be interested to see where it goes. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I reported on the acquisition offers and the responses from Stratasys, but at the same time, there is another aspect as well because uh, Nanodimensions uh, seems to be having some sort of conflict with its, it's one of its uh, biggest institutional shareholders. I don't know where that is going to go, but uh, so far as the uh, Stratasys um, acquisition is going, the latest offer is outstanding and it's an increased um, amount to buy out the remaining amount of the share. Uh, but like you pointed out, yeah, Nano was founded in 2012. So by tech uh, life cycle, it's a relatively new company. Stratasys was founded in 1989. It's a much right. longer, much well-established company. Um, the chairman and CEO of Nano Dimension has been talking quite a bit on his YouTube channel. Um, Yao's... You have Stern. I'm, I I hope that I'm not. Um, I hope that I'm not mispronouncing his name. Anyway, Mr. Stern seems to believe that um, um, they have Nano Dimension has uh, different materials other than polymer. On the other hand, uh, Stratasys focus primarily on polymer. So his justification is why don't we combine the two so that we can cover a much wider range of. Um, materials and technologies that we can offer to the customers. Um, I must say, I see some logic in that argument. And your thoughts, Brian? Uh, you know, I, I think that's, that is true. Uh, I think just the, 
the 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 if you just look at it on paper, the idea of the two companies combining, you know, that would you know probably make sense. The the scenario in which it's unfolding is it seems to be kind of peculiar about this whole thing. Um, and I'll point out that that Stratus is, and, and, you know, as you pointed out in your coverage online too, you know, Stratus has adopted sort of a poison pill um, uh, option to prevent you know the type of of shareholder takeover that might otherwise be happening too. Um, so they they have some sort of defense against this other than just saying no. Uh, so I guess we'll just try to see how, how it plays out. And and we are getting, you know, as you pointed out from Nano Dimension, there he's putting out a video once, sometimes twice a week, um, both about this and also about their own sort of internal strife uh, when it comes to shareholders. When I reach out to uh, Terry Ola, who is a, a very well-respected, of course, uh, industry watcher for the additive manufacturing or 3D printing industry, he said that if the deal goes through, it would go down as one of the largest and most unexpected acquisition for the AM industry. Um, so, so far, it hasn't happened yet, but it did. The offer did indeed um, catch many of us by surprise. Um, but the, the latest twist to that, I just found out this morning as I'm doing research before we went into recording, is that Stratus is actually on the 5th of April uh, completed an acquisition of a German company called uh, Investo, which is specializing in a variety of polyurethane, uh, polyurethane and uh, polycarbonate materials, uh, AM material specialist. So yeah. a lot of things are happening simultaneously, it seems, in those two companies. Right. Um, moving on to one of the conferences that I recently attended, and that's uh, OzenCon. It is held by ANSYS reseller Ozen Engineering, and it's right there in the heart of Silicon Valley in um, Santa Clara. I went there, and the keynote speaker turns out to be the CTO of ANSYS, Dr. Prith Pranaji. Uh, now, he has a lot to say about the impact of chatbots like ChatGPT. So let's hear what he has to say. Today, when you use a simulation tool such as HFSS for electromagnetic simulation or Fluent for fluid simulation, you have to, a user has to set like 100 different parameters and you have to have, almost have to have a PhD in aerospace engineering to know which parameters to set. With the technology such as ChatGPT, I mean, in the future, you can actually say, hey, Fluent, run a external aerodynamic simulation over a Boeing 747 plane and it will figure out for that particular case, what are the fluent settings to use and automatically set it. I mean, that could be absolutely huge. Uh, for, what do you think about that idea, uh, um, Brian? What, what do you think uh, this will do to simulation usage? Well, that's interesting. And, and uh, later on, when I talk about some of my own travels and uh, to assess, and where we talked a lot about the democratization of, of simulation, um, that's an interesting notion. Because you know, one of the challenges has been with simulation adoption is it's still very complex, um, and often uh, you know companies have to still sort of hand off their simulation activities to specialists within the companies or, or maybe outside firms. So the idea of trying to you know find a way to uh, you know make it easier for people to actually figure out what information they need and interpret those results. Uh, that's you know that's something I think the industry is looking for or could possibly help with that transition to you know wider use of simulation. Uh, other companies are taking other um, 
you know, approaches, you know, like, like Comsol has uh, done this sort of app building a process where you can, you know, your simulation specialist can build these, uh, you know, it, it's like a um, sort of an automated process to help the other users, you know, figure, you know, go through these, these simulations without having to know that level of detail. The, having AI do that for you is, is, will also be interesting. Although I, I think, um, you know, there's there's still a lot of peculiarities about how chat gpt specifically works and responds to things uh but i think if you were applying this to to something like simulation obviously there would probably be a lot more um close work on you know training those algorithms to give you the right answers yeah to, to me uh the the chat GPT application in simulation is mainly about, of course, adopting the natural language processing skills of the chatbot into the user interface. So you don't have to know the precise parameters or the precise dialogue box you need to manipulate to set up a simulation. You can just talk to the program in a natural language. But it does introduce the idea that it's going to be less precise because natural language is not as precise as you know load case of several pounds or pressure of several parameters and things like that it's natural language um how would simulation users or simulation programs be able to accommodate the imprecision of natural language it's something that i don't quite i i cannot predict how it's going to turn out right and i and when I've talked to other companies about, you know, other ways they've incorporated AI into their tools, you know, the idea is AI gives you um, better options to choose from. So, you know, perhaps with natural language processing, you'd, you'd still have some uh, amount of sort of looking at what, you know, what it's telling you to do and, and maybe having to sort of choose among best options rather than having it actually just go, you know, go ahead and run the thing for you when you're not exactly sure what it's going to do. You know, that's a good question. It may actually turn out to be that we would actually go back and forth with the chat bot and then thereby arrive at a reasonable decision because indeed that is how people have been using chat gpt today it's not just a matter of asking a question and collecting the answer but they actually tend to go back and forth sort of like an exchange between the user and the chat bot so what you're proposing actually make a lot more sense right you you could come to that more uh you know sort of granular or or specific solution by interrogating what the ai is telling you and then having the ai sort of interrogate you back about it too Correct. Yes. Yeah. Well, on a related topic, let's also go ahead and talk about NVIDIA GTC. Um, it happened online. It didn't happen in person. Uh, the last time it happened in person was before the pandemic. Since then, they have been putting on more GTC shows, but it's just that um, all of them uh, from the COVID period to today has been online. Um, the numbers are impressive. Uh, according to NVIDIA, the latest chat, uh, the latest uh, GTC. I'm confusing chat GPT with GTC now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the latest uh. number for GTC is uh, 250,000 participants. Um, Omniverse, their uh, digital twin housing platform, has been downloaded for 300,000 times. And perhaps the biggest piece of news that came out of the latest one is that Microsoft Azure is going to become the cloud partner for NVIDIA 
omniverse. Um, any thoughts on those? Well, that's a, a, a lot of folks and a lot of downloads. Um, I know, you know, Omniverse has been a huge focus at NVIDIA um, in terms of their you know, tech development and marketing. Uh, so they're really uh, putting a lot into this as a collaborative platform for a number of different types of applications. So, uh, but I'll be interested to see, um, you know, how, you know, a lot of people downloaded it. How are they actually implementing that, you know, in businesses? They have some big uh, part, you know, some big customer partners that are using this for actual uh, product development and plant design. Uh, so we'll, I'll be I'll be curious to see how uh, scalable that is with other types of companies and, and how other folks you know, really want to use it. Because I think there's still a lot of uh, confusion and hesitancy around the notion of the metaverse, which is, you know, Omniverse is sort of the the NVIDIA flavor of, of metaverse or the sort of virtual reality platform for doing work. Oh, right. Uh, we sort of... Um... Previously, uh, perhaps incorrectly, we assume that there's going to be something called the metaverse where all the vendors will play together. But, but more and more, it's beginning to look like there are going to be different versions of metaverse, immersive kind of 3D environment. So um, it, it complicates things more, of course. You know, if you have a digital twin in one metaverse and how are you going to transport it to another metaverse? Or will you have several digital twins, one for each purpose, existing in different metaverses? So um, this gets much more complicated, complicated than I originally thought it would be. Hmm. Um, NVIDIA also announced that they are releasing a series of cloud services called AI Foundation. So they will involve, for example, Nemo Language Services, that's the Natural Language Processing Services, and Picasso Image and Video Processing Services, um, and also domain-specific generative AI applications for intelligent chat and customer support, professional content creation. Um, on top of that, it seems uh, NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang is also equally excited about ChatGPT. He called it the AI herd around the world. And he think of that as the iPhone moment of AI. Of course, that bodes very well for NVIDIA because uh, they have hardware like DGX100, which is a GPU accelerated system for AI workloads. Um, are we really making such a big deal out of ChatGPT? Um, do you think... Um, Aside from the fact that it's buzzing, it's causing a buzz in the consumer level, um, do you really think something like that would do something to the professional design simulation market? Uh, you know, I think potentially, but, you know, as, as with most things that are, are uh, that come out, we, we do follow, you know, what you know, the classic Gartner hype cycle. Uh, yep. where we were talking about it a lot. Um, and, you know, initially people start looking at it as the solution to every type of thing. So, you know, we're seeing people testing it out for all sorts of different things, but it may not be the, you know, the tool needed for, for all of the, the applications that people are sort of envisioning right now. Uh, so you know, I would give it time. AI, obviously we've been talking about it for a long time. AI and design we've been talking about for a little while too, um, so I guess we'll just have to see. This is definitely, uh, you know, far more advanced in terms of language processing than, than we maybe have seen before. But how that will play out with design, um, I, I think we'll, you know, maybe a, a year from now we'll have a better idea of what that looks like.
you know, the topic of AI and also perhaps ChatGPT came up too at Assess conference that you went to. Could you share some things that uh, you discovered there? That's true. Uh, I was at the Assess Initiative conference in Georgia. Assess Initiative uh, is focused on uh, simulation democratization primarily. They're now part of NAFEMS. Uh, and actually, I, I talked specifically about Chad GT. GPT with a with an attendee there, and he had sort of tinkered with it, and he was asking me about you know what what does that mean for journalism, and we, and we discussed it a little bit, and he said what he a thing he had done was he took a very complicated technical paper, and had Chat GPT write him a two paragraph summary explaining it, and his you know he said you know it actually did a pretty good job, so <laughs> I think there's there you know there might be some utility there maybe in our industry uh in sort of reading things that are a little bit maybe uh, above our heads uh, and getting a better idea of how they how they look uh, hopefully it won't take over writing our articles for us um but one of the things that we also talked about at assess uh, if, for those of you who aren't familiar assess has uh, some different sort of focus areas around simulation that they have committees on and they they work up uh, you know, focus papers and, and different ways to sort of help the industry uh, um, adopt more simulation. And those, you know, one one focus area is making a business case, for example. One focus area is, is generative design. So they've actually added a new area uh, called autonomy, where they want to look at uh, how businesses can increase the use of simulation or improve the use of simulation in, in creating autonomous systems. Uh, and I was involved in a lot of those working group discussions. And, you know, we talked a, a bit about the role of AI there, which is in that you have AI and machine learning involved in the end product that you're creating, whether that's a, an autonomous vehicle or a robotic system or, or an autonomous software system. But you're also leveraging AI as part of the simulation process uh, because you might need to create what, what's referred to as synthetic simulation data. So if you're trying to do millions of hours of simulation on uh, an autonomous vehicle, for example, um, you can't program every single potential scenario the car will go through because there, you know, there, there's an infinite number of scenarios uh, on some level. So they're using the AI engines to kind of help create the environments in which you test these things. Uh, and in the meta, you know, the metaverse, the Nvidia Omniverse specifically, are, are part of that process too, where you're creating entirely virtual environments that are uh, sort of fueled by these AI engines to test the vehicles or other systems, robotic systems, for example, that people are designing. Uh, so there was a, there was a lot of discussion around that, <clears throat> um, and, and we talked quite a bit about AI. We also discussed, um, uh, you know, just there were some industry trends brought up about simulation. You know, obviously here at DE, we are interested in, in how companies are leveraging simulation in their design processes. And there's been a lot of growth in the, in the CAE market in general. At one point, someone brought up was, you know, how do we know if that growth is uh, or you know, organic? Is it is it new companies adopting simulation, or is it just a lot of large companies buying more software licenses? And and, and I don't know that we know for sure exactly what that is. I, I don't know that I've seen industry data uh, specific to that to show us are are more companies doing this, or just more people within the same companies doing this. Uh, and it's something that's uh, of of intense interest to assess and also NAFEMS uh, to kind of look at. Uh, you know, where are these new users coming from and how can we get some of these other companies that maybe aren't invested in this type of technology to, to use it? So so there was some discussion around that as well. 
um, and, and to the just to the the basic sort of underlying philosophy of assess about democratizing the access to these tools uh, and you know using things like AI to make it easier to use, can there be too much democratization? In other words, you know how far do you want non-specialist users to go with uh, trying to use these solvers and 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 addressing some of the questions you have in the, in the course of product development. At what point do you want to draw a line and say, no, actually, we really do need a specialized analyst to, to do this work. And then, and I think those discussions are going to continue with NAFEMS in May, which is sort of the next big industry event in that space. And the uh, NAFEMS International is going to be in Tampa here in the U.S. Uh, for a change this year. Uh, this is the conference where you would be attending, is it true? Yes, I'll be at NAFEMS in May, so hopefully if anyone listening is going, we can stop by and say hello. Right, and I will be going to uh, Siemens, uh, Siemens Realize um, that will be held in Vegas, I believe. Um, to, a lot of people uh, will jump at the chance of going to Vegas, but f frankly, it's not my favorite city. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the desert in June is a little, it could be a bit balmy. I, I, I imagine so. I'd be hunkering down in the air-conditioned hotel, <laughs> do what I had to do, and then rush back home. Um, about the autonomy topic that you brought up. I, I do think that the development of self-driving cars has been quite a, uh, quite a boon for uh, simulation software vendors because car developers like that have no choice but to use simulation considering the amount of road that the car has to be trained on and it's just impractical to do it in the physical in the physical realm so but lately i think um nvidia has also been pitching the idea of using omniverse as the training environment for training environment for these self-driving cars they also have of course a uh, um, self-driving specific um specific software stacks and hardware stacks like nvidia drive part of the nvidia drive offering um the license against users question is interesting you're right because most of the time when industry reports kind of uh, talk about the growth they're 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 making that assessment based on the number of licenses sold primarily but we don't really know how many of these licenses are actually actively being used do we no, we, we don't. And that's, uh, you know, one of the, that's, you know, another issue that came up because, because it assessed there are vendors there, but it's, um, it's, it's not like a normal industry event. It's, it's really a sort of a collaborative event for a very small number of, uh, you know, highly qualified and very technical attendees, uh, both from the vendor uh, community and also from end user, end user companies. Uh, and there was, and the, and the vendors always get grilled there about things like interoperability and, and other issues. And, um, you know, that was something that was brought up about, you know, the, the old licensing models are, are in some ways getting in the way of how people use the software, uh, because people do wind up having to buy licenses and then they just sit, um, or they don't use, they don't get used very often. So the, the and the vendors are in the spot now where they're they're trying to adopt more flexible models like you know cloud access or more on demand, but they yep. you know that that puts some of their entire business model at risk because they're built on selling software licenses. Uh, so it's it's a it'll be a challenging transition, but uh, one I think they almost have to make, uh, especially as as different types of people use the software that 
they they can't just you know sell a license and then have people sit on it because they're very expensive um <clears throat> and they don't necessarily get you know it, it might be hard to sort of make the business case if you're just buying a license for occasional use that it's worth that's worth the key. money Yeah, that's the key. That's the key, because um, in a in a product development cycle, you reach a certain point where you use simulation very heavily, and then when that phase is passed, you go back to uh, revisions and uh, designing, and that's a phase where you're not using simulation. So uh, it's really difficult to justify uh, keeping a perpetual license for something that you would use, say. Um, 20% of the project life cycle, which is why we have been advocating for, and I think the vendors realize this too, and the users want it too. They, what they want is actually a kind of a on-demand um, pay when we need to use it and not pay when we don't have to use it kind of system. And historically, that is not the system. So that's why as an industry, it's so difficult for us to um, move in that direction. Um, maybe we can uh, wrap up by talking about some of the stories that we've been working on. We just wrapped up May issue, and that's the issue in which I asked actually one of our good friends, uh, Joe Walsh from Assess Initiative, to sort of pretend that he's a university professor and great the industries, uh, how the industry is doing with um, simulation-driven design. So we will be releasing his assessment and the article in May issue. And I'm also working on a, um, a story for the next issue, which has to do with the use of synthetic data in training self-driving cars. So, so if we are using artificial data, what are the rules that we might put in place to make sure that those artificial data are actually uh, realistic and reliable enough. Um, what are some of the stories that uh, you're working on or assigning to different people? Well, you know, in, in May, uh, which is our, our issue that's focused on simulation, we'll also be taking a look at uh, model-based systems engineering, MBSE, which is another thing that, that we talked a lot about at Assess. Um, in addition to uh, some some of the on-demand compute requirements, if you're trying to use cloud-based simulation, um, and also, we've, we've got some cloud, you know, speaking of the cloud, there's also a cloud-based PLM feature we've got coming from one of our uh, writers in that space, Tom Cavan. Um, and then, as you said, we'll be touching some more on some of those uh, automotive and autonomous topics in the June issue, which is focused on automotive. Uh, those are both coming up. For if you want something to read right now, uh, we just posted the April issue, which is focused on additive manufacturing. Uh, so we're we've got uh, features there on design for additive, on multi-material uh, printing, uh, support-free 3D printing, and and sort of where that works and where it might not work, uh, as well as uh, a nice article that you did as sort of a follow-up to a previous feature on how digital twins are being used to develop uh, uh, you know next stage nuclear energy uh, plants and how they've been leveraged in some of the fusion experiments that we've seen. Very good, uh, Brian. Well, um, considering how many things are on our plates, we should get back to our work days <laughs> <Sure>. now. <laughs> so, uh, it's been a pleasure, as always, to chat with you and catch up and uh, trade uh, stories about trade shows and uh, trade ideas about uh, upcoming stories. Thanks, Kenneth. All right. Until next time, I'm Kenneth Wong, the Senior Editor for DE247. And Brian, you are? Brian Albright, Editorial Director at DE247. 
see you in the next episode.